1: And hello to my partner in podcast crime here, Gary Sheffer. Hey, Mike. Glad to see you. And uh, in a few moments, we will talk with a friend and colleague and, and, and someone who for years, I know you and I have admired, a lot of people in the industry have admired, his grace under pressure, great ability to to help others through Difficult and complicated issues, and he's an all-around nice guy. Uh, we'll talk to Mike O'Neill, the chief uh, corporate affairs officer for American Express. Uh, you know, the current Amex uh, ad campaign uh, plays off of their earlier campaigns mm-hmm. and says, don't live life without it. <laughs> I think for years at that company, I'm sure the refrain inside was, don't do PR without Mike.
0: Without Mike, exactly. Yeah, yeah. And a wise one.
1: Absolutely. So, Gary, in the news, we, we want to discuss uh, Peloton. Joe Biden had a run in <laughs> with an with an Iowa voter and and I think he actually called him a damn liar. Yeah. And then I uh, want to talk a little bit about some research coming out of the December 12th election in the UK. And uh, and lastly, you wanted to discuss, which I think is fabulous, given the end of a decade, uh, what the biggest changes in communications mm-hmm. during the decade have, have been in the 20-teens. Yes. I, I uh, like it when it's a little bit easier when you say the 20s, the 30s. I want to get
0: back to regular decades. Regular decades. <laughs> there you go.
1: So let's talk about Peloton. Peloton is, is kind of Interesting, and and, and there's been lots said and, I guess, written about this infamous ad that's titled uh, The Gift That Gives Back. Um, It was first posted online, but Mm -hmm. it didn't really air on television until more, you know, a little later. It depicted a a man giving his wife a Peloton exercise Mm -hmm. bike for Christmas uh, and then kind of tracks her talking um, seemingly on uh, social media via Mm -hmm. video about her experience during the course of a year. And she says a year ago, I didn't realize how much this would change me. Uh, she says at the end of the ad and then a voiceover comes on. It says the holiday or this holiday, give the gift of Peloton. Now, the ad has been regarded by mm-hmm. uh, many people as sexist in portraying the woman as having no concerns other than her about her body. Mm-hmm. Uh, and also, I guess some people have also criticized kind of the role of the husband in this. And we're both spouses. Uh, yeah. But, but you know, do you really ever give your wife a gift that says you should exercise? Right, right. Exactly. Uh, you know.
0: Boy, that's a tough one. <laughs> that's a tough one. And it's kind of interesting to me. And, and by the way, th- these things have real consequences. This shaved, what, $1.6 off the yeah, market cap? Yeah, so it's cap? like 15% oh, of, uh, the, <laughs> of the value of the shares over a three-day period. Yeah, so which is remarkable. And all I would say is the subtlety of some of these ads. Now, yeah. if it had been about personal health, uh, and I, I don't know how to express it the right way rather than physical appearance, mm-hmm. right? Now, the implication was that it was about right. physical appearance. But if it's about personal health and wanting to live a healthier lifestyle and all those kinds of things, you see lots of those ads. Right. You see many, many, many of those ads. And, of course, the title here is The Gift That Gives Back. Who's it giving back to? It sounds like it's giving back to the husband, right, (laughs) to appreciate his super fit wife. So these things all come together now. And in a world where, you know, uh, people are w- waiting to be aggrieved or pissed yeah. off about something, man, you just have to be spot well, on. Well, you almost
1: wonder things. if they, they would have been better off establishing a better premise. Right, right. That's what I mean. Yeah. yeah. yeah well yeah. said. Yeah. Yeah. You, you know, it's it's like if she had asked for it because she wants to train for something. Right. Yeah. We might have looked at this ad a lot differently. Exactly. The next item that I that I wanted to Get you on and get your your thoughts on. Uh, we both have counsel mm-hmm. political figures in the past, uh, but uh, Joe Biden decides he's going to trade barbs with this guy who stands up at a at a mm. political meeting in uh, in Iowa. And the guy challenges him a bit, and then particularly challenges him challenges him about his son's overseas business dealing. Mm-hmm. This is in your, the Ukraine, yeah. and the guy goes on and on, and, and and finally Biden says, "You're a damn liar." Right, you know. Um,
0: this is an eighty three year old man, too, right? The the, the heckler. The heckler, right, right. Or the questioner. Right.
1: And I think that clearly part of uh, Biden getting up his ire is, that it is it's his son mm-hmm. and says, you know, that's not true. And no one has ever said that. No one has, has proved that. And, and then the the voter, this as you said, the mm-hmm. uh, eighty plus year old guy says says, well, I heard this information on MSNBC, which then uh, that even gets the former vice president even more agitated, mm. realizing MSNBC would never you know uh, <laughs> do that. How should a candidate behave when challenged in these kinds of situations? And, and we're, I think we're seeing more and more of these kinds of challenges. Anyway, yeah,
0: uh, look, there are times to show backbone. Mm-hmm. Right. To stand up. And, and I contrast this, Mike, with last week with Nancy Pelosi mm-hmm. when she was asked by a conservative reporter, do you hate the president? Right. Uh, Madam Speaker. And she responded the right way. Right. Which was to re- reject the premise of the question that she hates anyone mm-hmm. based on her personal religious beliefs. You know, it was it was masterful. Absolutely. Masterful. I, I thought for n- not this way for Joe. Yeah. Right, it, it just a it's a 83-year-old man. Mm-hmm. And my advice would have been, stand up for your son. Yep. Do it in a respectful way. Right. S- sir, this is just not true, yeah. and I'd be happy to uh talk to you afterwards about the actual facts, something like that, yeah. but in a personal way. The response that he gave would indicate in, in in now, we know there's doesn't seem to be a lot about Hunter Biden in Ukraine that was illegal right. or anything would lead you to believe that he's super sensitive about something that maybe part of it is true. Right. So it's the wrong reaction for a number of reasons, but I just love the contrast with Pelosi.
1: Yeah, yeah. Well, and and what's also interesting, thinking about this... Guy standing up, and how did he come mm. even to the conclusion to ask that question? Right, and that him even thinking that it was MSNBC, which also draws me to the United Kingdom. Yeah, you know, so they have an election coming up on uh, on, on December twelfth. By the time this airs, w- the election will have taken That's, place. Mm, yep. um, and what's interesting is. Uh, there are a couple of researchers that have been analyzing how people get their news uh, in order to shape their opinion around the election. And, and what they've kind of uncovered, and literally in one analysis, one study uh, that was co-sponsored by The Guardian, uh, they literally took and viewed people's smartphone usage over a three-day mm-hmm. period and what they realized is that few people were looking at the news through original sources. Uh, they were looking a lot at campaign sources. They were looking at a lot of third parties. Mm-hmm. Some of the information was true, but a lot of it was not or had shadings in different. and, and they kind of make the conclusion that the reality, is that people aren't necessarily getting a clear mm-hmm. reflection of what's out there? And that context is everything, and that context is driven by almost. Uh, you know, tribal choices yes. that, that that one makes in terms of what they're going to pay attention to and off of a handheld device at that.
0: Does it indicate, Mike, that people aren't discerning between political and, let's say, celebrity news? They just want to be entertained. Yeah,
1: and, and in fact, uh, uh, one, of the, one of the individuals who kind of led the research uh, said, you're no longer asking what's going on in the world today. It's very different. You want to be entertained. Yeah. And, and, and so I think there's a mixture of that And if you think about even what happens in the United States, I mean, a lot of us sort of reflect on some of the political news through the lens of what the late night uh, comedians Um, say.
0: Yes, exactly. And... If you think about with the impeachment hearings going on in the United States right now, one of the main defenses of the Republican Party in these impeachment hearings has been they're boring. <laughs> 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 uh, gee, isn't this constitutional pro- process boring? Almost. Maybe that's it. the ultimate <laughs> spike, right? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> well, it, it may be a smart strategy, yeah. right? So I think this is exactly right. And, and let's face it—again, this non-political statement—we have a reality television star as the president of this country right now. And people are not discerning between politics, entertainment, sports. It's all about being entertained through the lens of how you view the world. We'll have to
1: wait to 2020 to see who's fired.
0: Exactly, that's (laughs) right, yeah. (laughs) Well, anyway, I'll keep my mouth
1: shut. Well, 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 (laughs) and and it's and it's interesting too. Companies playing in this milieu are also very, very interesting. And and Burger King, which of course has you know their number one uh, (laughs) food uh, product is something called the Whopper, which actually I I enjoy the occasional Whopper myself. But given the election coming up, and also given the use of the political campaigns around Brexit, there are lots of buses that had been used, Mm. that had different slogans and different messages uh, around breaking from the European Union uh, that were used by the pro-Brexit forces. And so what does Burger King do? But they go ahead and they um, hire out a bunch of these public buses and put signage on them. And the signage on, on the sides of these buses says, another Whopper on the side of a bus must be an election. And, uh, and, and what's fascinating, so, so we look at it, we laugh, uh, we understand the connection, you know, to Brexit. And so the question is what ultimately happens, you know, for Burger King and the mix of that, of trying to be amusing, are they, in a sense, that saying they oppose Brexit, yeah, exactly. that they oppo- oppose Boris Johnson as a consequence? And then we've already started to see some messaging on Twitter where people are t- starting to take them to task with messages like, a reminder never to visit Burger King was one. <laughs> Another one says all Brexit supporters must now boycott Burger King. And even worse, probably in the eyes of the folks at Burger King, one that said, I'm voting with my feet and going to McDonald's.
0: I look I if you like the Whopper, you're still gonna eat it. <laughs> <I'm> <laughs> just I don't think the people who in me, I love, you know, fast food are going to change based on something like this. Yeah. But for uh, other companies, you know, the, the idea that boycotts don't work anymore yeah. is, n- is not true, yeah. right? We see yeah. it all the time. Yeah. And yeah. and so if people have access to your product who are are motivated yeah. um, either to boycott or boycott, uh-huh. you know, there's boycotters now who buy your product because they like your political. I would just say, both in the UK and here in the States, stay away from it. Yeah. it you know, I, I just think it's a distraction for your company and your people Burger King is sort of a maverick little brand. You know, they like to, you know, pull the pin on the grenade and throw it (laughs) into the... But so maybe it works for them. And, you know, I kind of think it's funny. But uh, my experience going back with uh, my CEO at GE working with the president of the United States, President Obama, to try to drive jobs in this creation in this country, it was the worst thing. Yeah. Uh, I mean, just for, it, particularly for a company that had defense contracts. Yeah. Right. Uh, which we did. I like this one. I like Whoppers. Um, <laughs> I, I don't, th- but I don't think they'll lose a lot of business.
1: Yeah. 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 It's fun though. Yeah. It is. Uh, n- now, one of the things that uh, we started to talk about uh, earlier today <laughs> is that the decade is coming to a close. Amazing. And, uh, you know, the decade for communications and the decade for marketing and, and, and PR has really been pretty amazing. Yes, it has. And, 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 and you know, the one thing that I'm really – drawn to. And, and I know you've got an expanded view on this, yeah. but one of the things that surely has impacted us is technology. Yes. And we're seeing it in a variety of ways. I, I, th- there are very few large companies. There are very few agencies that don't have somebody that's uh, you know doing digital analytics. Mm-hmm. Uh, there is a sense that we've got Information at our fingertips, uh, we have all you know proliferation mm-hmm. of communications channels, and we need to manage that well and I think that if I had to say that there was one thing uh, it would be the the use and deployment of this technology that really has changed the game. But I know you have ha, have some thoughts too around what does this mean, and that may be even the bigger change.
0: Yeah, and I, I I look, the internet was the great liberator of information, yeah. right? And I I still think it is and can be in many ways. But it also uh, the the underside of that is it allows for manipulation. Yeah, in huge in, in ways that have never been. The volume is different, Mike. Right? Absolutely, and speed. S- and speed, right? So, so there's always been political gamesmanship, right? Going back to the fa- in this country, going back, James Madison was working with George Washington, and at the same time had set up a you know a fake a newspaper to criticize him, right? Mm-hmm. So, so this happened all the time, but the speed, the volume with which you can produce information, weaponize it yeah. a- and distribute it. That's the change to me in the decade that's the most disconcerting. And I thought your point was the right one, which is about tribalism. Right. Yeah. Which it allows that to proliferate. And again, I hate to get back to the you know, the impeachment stuff, but it's historic, right? Mm-hmm. And the folks who are on the floor defending the president are not even trying really to respond to the facts. Right. Because what they're doing is they're creating content for their fan base. For their tribe. For their tribe, mm-hmm. right? So that it can be snipped up and put on Instagram and Facebook and all of that kind of thing. They don't have to deal with reality, Yeah. right? Yeah. And, and that, to me, we have to find a way to break through this fake news, whatever you want to call it, and tribalism that... Uh, unless we do, we're, we're everything becomes fuzzy, including right. our, our, our our values.
1: Yeah, it's like truth becomes trivialized.
0: Right. And, yeah. and,
1: and it's interesting because, I mean, it's like at every change of technology, you can go back to Gutenberg. Right, yes. Uh, that, that, you know, when all of a sudden you've got printing presses, when all of a sudden you have radio, when all of a sudden you have have television yes. the thought had been that oh we're going to go soft on yeah. information that we're we're going to lean more in the in the space of just entertaining yeah. audiences as opposed to informing them and, and and yet i think the the bigger threat isn't that we're going to become uh just a shop or or places are going to exist where news becomes entertainment instead it's like purposely uh, people are treating fact as something that you have your set of facts and exactly. I have my set of facts. Right. And we have all, all remember the uh, 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 Pat Moynihan line yeah. about you have a right to your own opinion but not your own set of facts. Yeah. And now everybody seems to be challenging the facts well, themselves.
0: My, do you, am I romanticizing it or, or, or tell me if you agree with this. I, I thought we sort of grew up in the golden era of objectivity, in fact-based decision making. Now, uh, this may sound naive, uh-huh. but so tell me what you think. From sort of like the Edward R. Murrow period forward, mm-hmm. through into Watergate, mm-hmm. uh, and then maybe even through the '90s, there was, uh, you know, we had three television networks, three anchors. The, mm-hmm. You know, the news train came in at six six thirty. Mm-hmm. There was a country that was united in many ways around uh, a set of facts, right um and aggressive journalism Woodward right. and Bernstein and all of this which created a generation of of great investigative reporters i think that's been lost
1: yeah so so i think what actually has happened is uh, what what we've seen is the proliferation of more channels yeah and so there are more voices uh and as there are more voices you know when you just have three major networks there's not as much choice, yeah, yeah. and there's uh, and there's some ease in managing mm-hmm. what goes forth as, as 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 key elements of information and yeah. truth, and uh, you know, cable, you know, was kind yeah. of the first onset, and I can remember in the '80s when CNN came online. Yeah, yeah. In fact, I was at the press conference where <laughs> Ted Turner announced, you know, yeah. what he was what he was doing. Um, in terms of starting CNN, right, and and then obviously then Fox News and then uh, MS uh, MSNBC and so on. So I think the chance. I mean, we've done this to ourselves. Yes, right. (laughs) In terms of what we have decided to go watch, and money follows what we watch, and so I think. A lot of it comes back to education. Mm. I mean, I think what ultimately is going to have to happen is we're going to have to make sure that young people as they're growing up uh, who really want to be informed get a sense of that they're going to have to look at several different channels in order to have a sense of where does true north lie? Yeah.
0: So, so at the start of this decade, you were at Cargill, right? You're just starting out at Cargill.
1: Yeah, so that's that's true. I had ju- I was just finishing up at State Farm, wow. where I had helped them get through Hurricane Katrina yeah. and some other challenges, uh, and then was starting Cargill. What
0: about you? I was at GE, and I was like sleeping on the floor of my. <laughs> we were just coming out of the, the financial crisis. That's right. right. That's right. So which. Uh, it's hard for me to believe that it was 10 years ago. Uh, it seems like yesterday. because yeah, I
1: originally hit in kind of 2008. Yeah, yeah, dead. in
0: September 2008 mm-hmm. when Lehman went under and, uh-huh. and, and all of that. But we were just coming out of it and, and looking for a brighter future. Yeah. I spent six more years at GE in uh-huh. and, and, and this decade. And uh, boy, did you even ever think that you and I would be sitting here and be you At the start of this decade. And I'm so happy. Well, they'd let us in any university classroom. Totally. Exactly. (laughs) Better point. That's the better point.
1: (laughs) But anyway, we have as as our guest today uh, someone who knows about the uh, fiscal crisis very much through his experience at American Express. So uh, look forward to talking to uh, Mike O'Neill.
0: Our guest today on The Crux is one of the most respected chief communications officers in the world, Mike O'Neill of American Express. Mike is actually retiring in a few weeks from his role, something a few of us began to suspect would never happen. But uh, there you go. Uh, Mike is officially titled the chief corporate affairs officer at Amex, and that's one of the things that uh, we want to talk to him about is a broad set of responsibilities that he has. Mike joined American Express in 1991. It's amazing. And and, and and had been uh, at Lehman Brothers for four years before that. So part of the family for a long time. And he ran the com- corporate communications team. And during his time with the—
1: I won't say how many jobs I had in e- that exactly, period of time. Exactly.
0: <laughs> or children. I, <laughs> That's know, right. I, 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 so— <laughs> Mike, uh, Mike's been an advisor to four CEOs. Um, And of course, if you know anything about the last 20, 25 years, he helped to steer the company through the challenges of the global financial crisis and a number of other political, economic and legal challenges. And as Mike uh, walks off into the sunset, Amex is one of the most admired companies. And Mike's team, I know, and I'm going to ask him about this is one of the most widely respected in our profession. As I said, his portfolio at Amex is broad. Mike's a member of the company's operating committee with responsibility for public and shareholder communications, international government affairs, corporate social responsibility, and public policy. So that's a lot on Mike's plate. Everyone who's listening knows Mike's been such a significant contributor to our profession. He was head of the seminar, uh, an annual meeting of the top people in PR also, for several years, led the Wiseman, which is a group of folks who get together for dinner in New York. In New York, uh, a lively bunch. So, Mike, welcome to The Crux.
2: Thank you, Gary. Thank you, Mike. I'm blushing. Uh. It's a good thing this is radio. <laughs> <laughs>
0: so, listen, if my math is correct, you're uh, at least at American Express proper. Uh, you've been there about 28 years leading communications mm-hmm. in one way or the other. Yep. So, what's, yep. what's the strangest thing you ever saw anyone put on a credit card?
2: <laughs> uh, boy, there there have been lots of them, uh, lots of big ticket items. Yep, I don't know weddings, anniversaries, bar mitzvahs. They've gotten more diverse as we've added millions of merchants over the last couple of years. But yeah, you know, there's probably one that does stand out, and it it was unusual. It, it goes back maybe ten plus years to a point where uh, the American troops were winding down in Afghanistan. And we had a card member who called into one of our platinum concierge's. Uh, she had read about uh, some of the the dogs who had been supporting the troops being oh, left okay. behind. Wow! And she called in and she said, "I would like to do something to bring the dogs back from the battle zones and wow. reunite them either with their handlers or uh, or find a safe home for them back in the United States." And uh, it hit the funny bone for one of our concierges who rolled up her sleeves and found a way to transport several dozen dogs over a period of time back to the U.S. to get them resettled. I I think everybody who heard the story uh, had a lump in their throat. It was really just something. But uh, someone who wanted to do a good deed and called one of the concierges and got some uh, unusual help for an unusual assignment.
0: I'd like to use my card to send my dog somewhere. Like, you know, (laughs) if I could do that. But that's a a great story. Uh, 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 Listen, you've been there quite a while. You've seen quite a bit. And I mentioned before your team. When I left GE, I don't mean to put the answer in your head, but I was... People always ask you, you know, after 16 years being CCO, what are you proud of? And you look around at the people that are with you, and that's the first thing that comes to mind. Is that how you felt? I was always so impressed with your team.
2: Yeah, no, I feel the same way. And you're bringing back some memories because we had a handful of years where you and I got together every year, and we did some joint training for people who were kind of mid-career, and we looked at what you were trying to do with your team, what I was trying to do down here, and realized that we had a lot in common. And we put programs together, we did some good networking and yep. it, it played out well. So yeah, I guess if I had to pick one thing that really stood out, it, it would be the team and and maybe something specific. It would be the the way they have reinvented their work over the period of time that <laughs> yeah. I've been here. You know, you go back to when any of us started, you know, most of the communications jobs were essentially translating jobs. Right. You had to translate the the language of business for a big universe of editors or journalists. And, and their job, in turn, was to translate it into popular language for a mass audience. And of course, you look at that as a, a, a holdover from another world, because <laughs> as soon as there was an internet and corporate websites, you had the the power to reach that audience directly. So you had to go from being a translator to something of a, a news director or a news producer. Media
0: company, Yeah. <laughs>
2: Yeah, exactly, and and of course, after you did that, you found out that all the people you were reaching could reach you, and they they were using the <laughs> the new generation of social platforms, and you then went from being something of a news director to something of a talk show host, where you had to engage with people, and very often engage with them in real time. So, you know, I look back at the the team here and many of my colleagues to to go from essentially a, a role where you defined it as a translator to news director to talk show host is pretty impressive and you know there's some skills that that carry over through each one of those phases but Anytime you have to reinvent yourself on the fly and do yes, it in yeah. a way that preserves everything you had going, it's 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 something to to be very proud of, and there's a lot of well, people here who have just done that beautifully.
0: Well, with your quick wit and sense of humor, I I, I always thought you could be
2: the next Merv Griffin. Or there you uh, go, yeah, yeah. <laughs> there you go. For for peop, people be, listening, be who, careful what you <laughs> yeah. Be careful what you ask for. Uh, I, I will uh, if I, if I ever get that, I'm sure I'll be on cable TV at three <laughs> o'clock in the morning, and I expect go. you to be up watching. Oh, <laughs> totally, completely.
1: Well, you know, and one of the things I've really been impressed with, Mike, through the years is the reputation of American Express. You know, clearly all companies, all large institutions have crises and challenges, but it, it also seems to me that early on there was kind of – an understanding of the sync up between marketing and public relations and advertising mm-hmm. and public relations, even going mm-hmm. back to the old you know carl Malden uh yeah. days where you know don't leave home without it uh, was was the touchstone uh, mm-hmm. but more recently, I noticed that uh, you know this is the time of year that you you mark uh, small business Saturday mm-hmm. and yep. one of the best I think is one of the best brand campaigns. Uh, In corporate history Ever Can you tell us about uh, The role that your team Plays in that campaign?
2: Sure Um, And and I can speak With superlatives Because it was not me Who came up with the idea It was actually one of my Junior colleagues Who was working with The small business uh, team At American Express And like a lot of folks Who do what we do For a living He got a request To come up with a big idea Uh Whatever that means And he looked at The calendar And he had been Paying attention to what happened with Black Friday and Cyber Monday, mm-hmm. and said, "I mean, in, in the most simple and direct terms, why not a day for small business? And why not put it right in the middle of the Thanksgiving holiday? And why not call it uh, Small Business Saturday?" Huh. And uh, it was one of those ideas where you literally heard it, and your first reaction was, "It's brilliant." And the second is, "Why didn't I think of it?" <laughs> um, and and I had that reaction. I think. Almost everybody at American Express had that reaction, and within the space of about two months, uh, we had this up and running, and we had support. I remember Mayor Bloomberg, who was mayor of New York back then, helped put it on the map. He announced it here in New York. We had... um, kind of proclamations from the legislatures in all 50 states making it a holiday in, in their territory. Hmm. Uh, we had President Obama out shopping on that day with his daughters oh, at right. the local bookstore. Yeah, yeah. It, it was just, it was literally the kind of idea that you could explain in one sentence that was so compelling that everybody just rallied around. And uh, and we've kept it going, it, it, the support we provide now uh it's largely a, a national advertising campaign to raise awareness. Uh it's support for what is probably close to five thousand merchant associations and community organizations that promote it on their own main streets. Um, we've been running it now in the, in the US for ten years. We've also run parallel campaigns uh in the UK, in Australia and Canada. And it it has the same reaction there as well. It's just a simple idea that everybody could get Immediately mm-hmm. and everybody could get behind. Well and
1: I also noticed that this year, uh being the tenth anniversary, uh you're also trying to give the world a preview of, of what you think retail will look like uh ten years from now, like twenty thirty. Um, mm-hmm. talk about uh yeah. this
0: year's effort. That's a think. that's a pretty simple task, right, <laughs> Mike? I mean <laughs> what well, retail yeah. looks like in ten years.
2: <laughs> um, I'm always reminded with a question like that if you're gonna predict Um, Predict long-term and update it all the time because the odds of being right are are pretty long. And it's uh, a good thing people have
1: short memories. (laughs)
2: Yeah. Yeah. And and retail is tough. I mean, you've got to be right and you've got to be right every season. But, you know, there are a couple of themes. Um, One, the assumption that it's going to be more customized and more personalized. And that people, regardless of the size or the nature of their business, are, are gonna have to be a bit more data savvy, a bit more data driven. Uh they're gonna have to find ways that keep them connected to their customers. And sometimes that's innovative products, sometimes it's just good old fashioned service, sometimes it's it's kind of on site experiences. Um and, you know, the, the things that don't change are basically the service and convenience and advice that comes from yeah. shopping around the corner from where you live with someone who knows your neighborhood someone who knows you um but retail's a tough business yeah. and you know whenever we speak to merchants the the number one request is i need more people coming through my door and, and that was kind of the the origins of the whole small business saturday shop small movement but uh we have enormous respect for anybody who's running a retail operation because You have to be good, and you have to be good every season of the year. Um,
1: Exactly. (laughs) Well, you know, and 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 predictive. yeah, Yeah. Well, and thinking about the future, how does like online banking and Bitcoin and all of that play into the business of American Express? I know for me, American Express is like something that is. Tangible, even though I know it's, we have online capabilities mm-hmm. with, the, mm-hmm. with the card. Uh, it was the first card I got because nobody else would give me a card. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but so, so, so it's uh, you know. To me, uh, American Express is how I've long done business, but I just wonder, Mm -hmm. you know, in an age when people are doing more online transactions, uh, people are talking about uh, Bitcoin and other types of uh, Mm -hmm. e-currencies, how does the world look for American Express?
2: Well, let me put bitcoin and cyber currency aside for a moment we'll yeah. come back to it but you know a lot of the things that you've seen historically at american express actually teed us up very nicely for an online world um, you had your connection to us was through historically a piece of plastic and a telephone the ability to get someone on the phone who would help you where and when and how you needed help um, in an earlier generation we probably had about two thousand travel offices physical tra- travel offices <laughs> around the world um yeah they they were terrific historic locations um but that business went online almost a generation ago um we deal with people through increasingly through their their mobile phones more so than their desktops or their laptops um so we had a, a if you would a virtual financial global network at a time where most of the people we competed with were still in the bricks and mortar business. I'm going to guess maybe as far back as 15 years ago, we found we were having more transactions digitally with mm-hmm. our customers than we were over the phone. Um, like anybody who uh, has been operating for the last couple of decades, we've put a massive amount of money into the tech infrastructure that allows us to do more with people um, primarily more and more off their mobile phone. Mm-hmm. So um, what you want and what you never want to lose when you're making a transition like that is the personal touch, the um, the, the sense that someone has your back if you're in trouble, mm-hmm. the set sense that somebody will help you with the unusual request, the, help, the sense that somebody will help you if you hit a financial hurdle in your own personal life. And we've been able to keep that. We still have big operating centers all over the world. If you need help, you can pick up the phone and call. But increasingly we're interacting with people um through a digital channel and that digital channel more and more is the phone that they've got in their pocket or in their purse Um, and you guys are probably like that too i mean i find more and more that um uh, if i have a question i push the chat button on my amex app and i get an answer and i'm perfectly happy um uh, it's sometimes faster and more convenient than picking up the phone Cyber currencies boy um, you know, I'm, I'm still in the camp that says a solution in search of a problem. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I, I think, I think they're on to something. I think the notion of a totally digitized blockchain technology that speeds up transactions, that speeds up translations into foreign currencies, that operates securely 24 hours a day is it, where the, the, the puck is going. But, uh, I mean, so much of what you see now is, um, Uh, A solution in in search of a problem. I'm not sure I'm a big fan of Bitcoin, although if you look at all the underlying technology, there's clearly something there, and it's going to kind of improve and speed up and make more economical the whole kind of capital flows and currency flows that go around the world and drive business.
0: Well, I, I just want someone to explain it to me.
2: You know now, well, Mike's. Wait a minute, Mike's got an accounting degree. Maybe after the show, I'll
0: get Mike to explain it to me. Um, you know, but anyway. So so listen, if somebody came to me now and I was a CCO and said I want to put public policy on your plate, I mm-hmm. might say no. You know, it's just it's it's an area where there's a lot of frustration. Certainly, uh, given the yeah. g- governmental paralysis that we see everywhere. Yep. Um so that's a part of what you do for um you know a, a really important global sure. firm what's yeah. the most challenging thing Mike about public policy for a company like Amex right now
2: Boy uh, my answer is consumer privacy and data protection right. and and obviously the two are related Um <clears throat> look I mean the the notion of more and more of your life being lived online the notion of sharing more and more aspects of your life your daily life online are, are really kind of changing the way the yeah. world works changing the way the business works and some of the upside of that is spectacular uh, but there are sharp edges and there are concerns and you know we have if you think of the 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 relationship that card members have with an american express it's built on trust it's built built on mm-hmm. an assumption of security Definitely built on an assumption that we're going to use your information responsibly and we're going to protect it. And, you know, there's a range of privacy laws and data protection laws. There's a range of people who have not lived up to the expectations in other industries. Um, And, you know, that's got to be number one. It's number one because our card members care so much about it. Merchants who do business with us care so much about it so having the right protections in place working with governments around the country and around the world to make sure that the laws enforce the the right protections and making sure that people are confident that you're going to take responsibility for the way you manage their information you're going to be transparent about Mm -hmm. it and you're going to be responsible so that's number one on my list
0: Um, and and Mike I mean talk about deep deep domain expertise so Mm -hmm. you know for we have some students in the studio with us here from Boston University. We talked mm-hmm. a lot here about understanding how a company works, how it actually makes money. Um, mm-hmm. You have to, as you have to, really get into the depths of um, mm-hmm. cyber, how mm-hmm. attacks occur, all of that, right? As the communicator, mm-hmm. so that you can make, mm-hmm. and as the public policy leader, make recommendations.
2: Yeah, I mean, like everybody else, we have hired over the the, the past. X number of years, hundreds of data security people. Mm-hmm. They monitor the incoming attacks. They coordinate with government agencies. Uh, they build firewalls that will withstand the the the, the test of time. We hope. <laughs> um, they're data scientists. They're clever folks who are constantly and in, in a little bit of a cat and mouse game with yeah. people who are trying to compromise the world's data systems. It's it, it's a, a high profile um uh, career, it's a career that, that attracts some of the most talented people I've ever had the opportunity to work with. And uh, anybody who is kind of blessed with good mathematical or statistical oh my skills, yeah. uh boy, they're gonna be able to to write their career for the next twenty, thirty years because it's not going away. If you're not if you're not constantly getting better at protecting data uh, you become the weak link. Yes. If you become the weak link, you become everybody's favorite target.
0: You get separated from the herd. Absolutely.
2: Oh yeah, yeah. absolutely.
0: So, so along these lines, Mike, what, what, um, you know, I, you hit on trust, and and uh, mm-hmm. I, of course, I, I was working for a half financial company during mm-hmm. the global mm-hmm. financial <laughs> crisis. Uh, oh, yeah. I'll, I'll I won't tell you which half of the body uh, <laughs> it was. Probably <laughs> maybe the rear end. But um, mm-hmm. so. It's so important has has the financial industry, if that's the right phrase, mm-hmm. regained trust um mm-hmm. largely you, you you might be your company might be a little bit different than the banks, obviously from mm-hmm. a from a trust and reputation standpoint and And I want to put it in the context, if you can, of this move toward purpose. you know that mm-hmm. every company has to have a purpose, Larry Fink, et cetera, from Blackrock. And as mm-hmm. the head of the foundation, how do you, for Amex, how do you think about all of that, the recovery from 08, 09, when your former employer, of course, Lehman Brothers went under mm-hmm. and all of that kind yeah, of sure.
1: thing? And didn't American Express itself actually accept TARP funds at yeah. the time?
2: Sure, uh, yeah. we did. Um, yeah, you know, for, for people who didn't live, first of all, the answer to your, your initial question was, did the industry recover? No. no. Um, yeah. I think it's made progress, but... Boy, the the, the answer has to be no. There's still a lingering unease. And, you know, in some ways, I I think that people who had their lives disrupted during the financial crises are a little bit about a little bit like people who had their lives disrupted by the Great Depression. Yeah. yeah, Um, yeah. It changes your perspective. It changes your aspirations. It changes your attitude towards institutions, towards governments. Uh, We're 10 years on. And I think, you know, there's been a lot of ground recovered, but have you know has that been put in the rearview mirror no. no and you see it in terms of financial regulation you see it in terms of politics you see it in terms of consumer reluctance to to make investments or to take on um, debt that allows them to buy homes before they have uh, accumulated a big enough nest egg to, to write right. a check for it um, and it's going to take some time um, and you know we would think perhaps that we are faring better than almost anybody i think we had a good track record through the the crisis but we operate in a system where if the system is broken um some of that accrues to everybody and yeah. and you know we see it, it goes a long way towards explaining some of the policy and some of the um the positions you're hearing in the presidential primary campaigns right now and again it's not just the us it's happening all over the world Purpose, you know, in in some ways, if you think of how people build relationships with companies now, um, that is a big change. I mean, people mm-hmm. want to buy from someone who shares their value, and they don't always know what that means. But uh, but there's there's a thought there. They want to operate with companies that they think operate their own business responsibly. And in some ways, that's the bridge that people look to cross when they're building relationships. It's kind of the the core essence, if you would. Um, and, And that's a relatively new phenomenon. It's not like it never existed in the past, but it's more front and center today than it's ever been and you know in some ways that's why things like the whole shop small movement hit a responsive chord yes. yeah. um it, it's it's doing something for somebody other than yourself it's not just about deploying capital to get a good return you look at it and say you know we actually help someone we we help people who other people support and it's good for business but it's also good for the community that we work in you you need more ideas like that you need companies to look at it like that mm-hmm. and you need everybody to remember as as one of my colleagues said many years ago, okay. corporations exist because society says they can. I mean, there's a right. body of law, there's a legal structure that was put in place because society said corporations uh, should be a plus. They should help the economy. Right. They should help the people who live in this country. And sometimes people forget that. You know, at its absolute core, you are allowed to operate. You have license to operate right. because. The community around you gave you that license, and they expect something in return.
1: I think that's well said, and, and, and I know that you also oversee the uh, American Express Foundation. The
2: foundation, yeah. You know, mm-hmm. and,
1: and clearly that's a component of uh, mm-hmm. corporate purpose. Mm-hmm. Uh, how does Amex tie its enterprise purpose to mm-hmm. what you do with the foundation as you try to, one, uh, rebuild now a decade after mm-hmm. what we saw in, uh, in, with the financial crisis, and then yep. even going forward, as you talk about, you know, building this social fiber with stakeholders.
2: Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, you know, there, there is one theme that, again, I can speak about without... Blushing because it wasn't my idea. It came from one of my colleagues, a fellow named Tim McClyman, who runs the foundation for us. Um, but, um, you know, the, the driving notion was that we're a service business. And we always have been. I mean, the American Express was originally a freight forwarder. It went from moving freight to financing mm-hmm. the moving, moving of freight. It went from moving freight to moving people, which got us into the travel business. And then it got into financing travel, first with traveler's checks and money orders, and then with, with credit cards. Um, but the, the core has always been service. And as we thought about the foundation, we kind of looked around and kind of looked at the, the global community of nonprofits and started to ask a basic question, which is, how can we serve them or what do they need? Mm-hmm. And what we heard was they needed um, talent development or leadership training. Um, It was something that uh, very few organizations had the ability to to put an infrastructure in. And uh, Tim came up with an idea that, again, as soon as you heard it, everybody fell in love with, the notion of setting up an American Express Leadership Academy that would be for um, high-potential, mid-level people working for non-government agencies or nonprofits. Um, We have run... Probably we're up to six or seven hundred of these academies around the world. Wow. We've trained thousands of people. Um, many of the people who went through originally are now starting to move into the leadership positions. And that kind of uh, it, it grew out of a, a concept of serving people who are partners of yours. Um, but it also kind of echoed some of the work we do. And, Gary, this will sound familiar. All the leadership training that the GE gang did yeah, as well. Exactly. We put a lot of money into it. And we thought, gee, if it's the kind of thing that we're investing in, it's the kind of thing we should share. So I, from the foundation, I would pick out the leadership development. It's allowed us to build bridges with um, people that go far beyond the, the ability to write a check to support a program. We, we do a fair amount of that as well. But the real ties that we've built have been through the leadership training and the the, the difference I think we've made in the careers of what is now hundreds and hundreds of people who I hope are gonna be running some of the, yeah. the world's biggest and most influential nonprofits in That's the years terrific. ahead. That's
1: terrific. Now, the, the companies also had, uh, from early on, as best as I can remember, a real sensitivity to cause marketing. I mean, I remember, mm-hmm. like I think it was like oh, in yeah. the mid or late 80s when uh, the, you, uh, the, the company put in money to renovate the Statue mm-hmm. of Liberty. And yep. mm-hmm. since then, there's also been efforts to uh, save various, you know, cultural icons in various mm-hmm. countries mm-hmm. And, and whatnot. Yep. How does that play into this picture of, you know, trying to both connect with uh, your, your your customers, your stakeholders, yep. and develop that sense of purpose?
2: Some of those grew out of the travel dimension of our business. Mm-hmm. So um, to go back to the Statue of Liberty. Um, I think people would say that was the first cause-related marketing campaign. I'm not sure if that's historically true. Hmm. Um, It's something we always get credit for, and it was essentially making a contribution Hmm. to the statue restoration fund every time someone used their American Express card. The notion, in part, because we're a New York company and I can look out my window and see the Statue of Liberty. Mm -hmm. We're doing something for the neighborhood, but it was also kind of doing something for the world travel and tourism industry. It's a major, major draw. It has been for hundreds of years. We've done other campaigns. You talked about some of the historical preservation. It's wonderful that people get to travel to remote parts of the world and see historic monuments Uh, The downside of that is sometimes there are too many people, and sometimes (laughs) they they kind of overrun the local infrastructure, and not every community has been able to to kind of keep some of the the historical treasures in good shape, and we've been partnering with the World Monuments Fund now for some years to to provide money and to raise awareness for some of the more endangered uh, spots around the world. Again, If you looked at it from the business perspective of American Express, we're kind of a big travel company. We support people getting out and building uh, ties with other communities, learning about the world we all live in. And we kind of allocated some of the money to um, give back to historical sites that needed a little bit of help.
0: And and also Um, after 9-11, you guys were quite active, right? Obviously, given your location, you had to you even
1: had yeah. to evacuate, if I remember correctly. <laughs> had to
0: move,
2: right? We we sure did. Um, you know, you had begun by asking what I was proudest of, and, and number one is the the work of the team. If I went beyond the team, I'd have to tell you the the the, the list of things I'm proud of would start with the recovery, the rebound post nine um, eleven. For those that may not remember, we literally are across the street from the World Trade Center. Um I was here the morning the planes hit. um I got out safely. I was not very quick to get out it's it's kind of uh, I look back on it and I probably stayed way longer in the building than I should have, but I got out safely and I immediately thought you know by tomorrow morning I'll be back in my office and I didn't realize that the other half of the building had been ripped open by all of the falling debris wow. from the towers and it took us a year before we came back in and the decision to come back to lower Manhattan was a tough one. Um, this was a bit of a ghost town for a while. Um, a lot of people were concerned about coming back here, uh, and it wasn't just us. I mean, it was it was dead quiet, aside from all the, the recovery work that was going on. And when we came back, I think um, we came back with the notion that we had to do something for all of our neighbors. So there was a lot of merchant outreach and promotion with them. We started the um, uh, Tribeca Film Festival, which was right. an effort to bring people back down.
0: Downtown, yeah, uh,
2: yeah, and we, we formed with the Downtown Alliance a program called the River to River Festival, which was free music, free arts, free kind of live um, uh, events and concerts to try and bring people back here. Um, and I think everybody felt great. It was a, a good shot in the arm to come back to kind of say, you can blow up our building, but you can't blow up the culture. Yeah. And I think everybody came Our back spirit. feeling a little bit stronger for it, yeah.
0: yeah. And, I, 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 you know, that brings back memories for me, too. You know, obviously mm-hmm. we were out in GE, we are out in Connecticut, but uh, yeah. a big part of... And I had a small role in helping GE mm-hmm. do some response there and, and mm-hmm. et cetera. So I, it's funny you mentioned that. Uh, looking back at the time at, at GE, is is uh, that would be uh, a high mark as well, too. So Mike won't ask, he's afraid um but I'll okay Mike I'll ask I'll, I'll go ahead and ask so Mike wants to know how he can get an American Express Centurion card your your <laughs> famous black card.
2: That oh, ouch! Yeah, uh, that's a little bit like that's a little bit like asking Coca Cola for the secret formula that's in the bank, uh, in the National Bank of Georgia. How about this? If I tell you, I will have to kill kill you and Mike as well. Does, does that put it? Darn that Put it. it to rest. Darn it! Yes. Okay. That's a that's the answer we're going to
0: get. I see. But I <laughs> I want to come back, Mike, to. Your um, the evolution really of of the role of the chief communicator, which uh, so mm-hmm. you puts a well translator, sort of media leader, and then talk show host. So where do you see this thing going? Um, are are more CCOs, um, whatever they're called, are going to have a, port, a broad portfolio like you have mm-hmm. at Amex, or how do you see this thing um, evolving? further?
2: I think the answer is yes, but it requires a somewhat different mindset than a lot of people have had. And and here I'm going to quote someone that I know the two of you know very well, Bill Nielsen, who's going to be our counterpart for Johnson & Johnson. And, you know, Bill told me years ago, probably as I was coming into this job, he said, your job isn't to run the communications department. Your job is to help run the company. Mm -hmm. And if you don't think of it that way, you're going to unintentionally define a job so narrowly that it's not going to live up to what you you want, and it's not going to live up to what your company probably wants. And and that stayed with me. Um, you, You know, you literally have to have that kind of mindset. You've got to Know the law as well as the legal team. You've got to know accounting as well as the finance team. You've got to understand how financing markets work. You've got to understand technology. You've got to be as good at reading public sentiment as the market research people. You've got to know products the way the product team does. Exactly. You've got to know what creates good economics and what the threats are. And you've got to, you've got to do all that. But you've got to, if you, if you start to think of your job as I'm helping to run the company. I mean, yeah. Yes, I'm I'm in charge of running a communications or a corporate affairs group, but it's 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 in the context of you know the the team, the executive team that I'm part of here. We all kind of look at it and say we're we're here to run the enterprise, and everybody's got a particular expertise. But I practice law without a license. My mm-hmm. colleague, <laughs> the GCO, is an expert on communications, and mm-hmm. and, and that's a healthy environment. Yeah. Um, Totally. You know, you, you, it's like so we all stayed at a holiday at that inn. Way. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> is it? Is if, it, Mike? If you look at your job that way, boy, it it, it suggests there's a great future and, and 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 a very interesting future for anybody who wants to make that kind of an investment. And what fun! Yeah. right i mean yeah. just what yeah. fun
1: yeah well and i think yeah. you you make a really good point that what you almost need in this function now is somebody who thinks business first right as as, yeah. as opposed to thinking about the narrow base uh, around communication and, and with that i'd be curious mike as 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 you begin to think about your your next steps in life's journey um you know, what's the skill set? If as as you're high, as you've been hiring people in the last few years, mm-hmm. how has that view of talent changed from what you mm-hmm. might have been hiring for back in the 1990s?
2: Some of it has not changed at all, and some of it has. So, I'll tell you what hasn't changed first. Um, the one thing that I always look for um, is the ability to be a persuasive communicator. And that can be by virtue of writing. It can be by virtue of sitting around the negotiating table. You can show that you're a persuasive communicator by getting up on your feet and giving a speech. You can show it by the way you structure meetings, by the way you design graphics. But you've got to feel um, that someone's a persuasive communicator, that someone's an advocate, that Mm -hmm. someone knows how to build a good argument. Someone knows how to listen to a good counter argument. And if you don't have that kind of skill or confidence to be a persuasive communicator, uh, everything else kind of th- doesn't really make up for it. And again, you, you find people show that, that communication skill in different Mm -hmm. disciplines. It can be a creative discipline. It can be a speaking discipline. It can be a relationship-building discipline. But you've got to be a persuasive communicator. I I also think, and this gets back to building teams, you've got to have a leadership skill. You know, What I tell people when we hire them is, um, I expect you to be a persuasive communicator. And the first day you get here, I'm going to tell you, great, now I'm taking that for granted. You need more. And the more is you need to make the people who sit to your left and to your right a little bit better at what they do. So, it's kind of a way of defining leadership for you before you take on the responsibility of leading or managing a team. You need to look at this and say, if I finished the day without helping someone, without kind of opening a door for them, without pointing them in the right direction, I didn't really do my job. So, you need to be a good communicator. You need to show leadership skill right from the start. You also, to go back to what I was trying to say about the senior jobs, you've got to have an interest in the business. You've got yeah. to. You've got to learn the business, you've got to speak the language of the people who are your internal clients. They're not going to speak your language, you have to speak theirs and you've got to learn it. What's changed is the tech aspects of the job. Ultimately, these are jobs that have influence more than authority and the way you influence in today's world is in a world where people are living more and more of their life online and you've got to be conversant with social platforms you've got to be conversant with technology you've got to be switched on if not 24 hours a day than every waking hour you've got to learn to read tea leaves you've got to learn to stay ahead of the curve and you can't do that unless you're a whole lot more tech savvy than the generation that came before you was
0: exactly so now so what's What's next for you?
2: Well, we were talking about this a little earlier, <laughs> and this, has got, this is going to totally undermine everything I've said for the last half hour. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm going back to school as a, to, to pick up my undergraduate Latin language studies. There you um, go. I'm going back to something I haven't studied in 40 years. I'm going to be a, a, a serious student who does his homework, who has his hand in the air, who drives everybody else crazy. So I'm going to be studying the Latin language, language. and I'm going to hopefully spend more and more of my time with a group I've been involved with as a director, uh, the International Rescue Committee, which does refugee relief in some of the... Yeah, it's a great organization, and they do some really, really good work in some of the world's most dangerous spots, Um, and for anybody who's paid attention to what's going on, Outside the U.S., um, there are 70 million refugees or internally displaced people at at risk right now, and it's kind of higher than it's ever been. In some parts of the world, governments roll up their sleeves and help. In others, they don't. And I'm going to spend some time with the folks at that organization, hopefully do a lot of my travel around uh, some of the refugee camps and assistance programs. Um, and maybe spread the Latin language. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, good for you. Listen, Mike, it's it's been uh, one of my favorite people. You've always been one of my favorite people in our profession, and uh, your sense of humor and and your um, your ability to simplify. I think I've always been impressed. You know, Small Business Saturday. Yeah. You know, is taking
1: very complicated subjects, often times exactly, and, and
0: simplifying yeah. them. I think is is. Uh, been a hallmark of, of your career in a complex industry. Well, yeah. and also
1: handling uh, real pressures it and crises with with grace and aplomb.
0: Exactly. So uh,
1: uh, we've we've enjoyed uh, working very kind with you. Of you guys. We've enjoyed mm-hmm. observing you, and uh, we're thrilled that we're able to call you a friend.
0: Terrific.
2: Uh, amen. I, I feel the same way about you guys. I am still in New York, and Gail and I will be here for hopefully years to come, so do not be strangers.
0: Oh, terrific. Great. Thanks, Mike, for being on The Crux.
2: Take
1: care.
0: Thanks for listening to The Crux, and make sure to listen for our next episode. Follow us at The Crux on Facebook and on Twitter. And you can find our episodes on SoundCloud and on our website, thecruxpodcast.org.